Um, take my words and make them land on your heart. And so just to kind of start this off, um, one, I had a devotion this week as I was trying to think through what all I was going to tell of this story. It's very difficult to tell because the personal um, stories and the stories of the church coming together, like Glenn was saying yesterday, is very much like a tapestry. And when I go back to tell the story, like I, I see all the little pieces come together and it's really hard to pick this one and this one and this one and keep the full story of God's glory through it and not get off on you know, some other way I saw him do something. I'm here to um, keep him in, in check. Yeah, that's her job. And comedic, really. <laughs> uh, so even just this week, like I had a devotion um, where the scripture was Matthew 5, and everybody probably knows this one. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your, sh- your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. I've heard that verse my whole life, and always associated it with doing evangelism, like going and being a light to lost people, basically. But this week, it really landed that that's what this is supposed to be for, for us. God's done something in my house and with me, and a, there's a ton of stories with it. And unless I stand in front of people and tell them what they are, nobody's ever going to know. It's a light that would be under a bowl. So I just love how he does these little personal touches of like some little shade of thing I've never thought about before. It's very applicable to what we're doing. So I've kind of divided this into kind of three big sections that happened over the course of two years. So this basically started with what Glenn started in, in January 2020. So that's where we'll start. So there's this period of time where God's kind of preparing us um, and refining us about some ideas. And then there was a season uh, that was very much like being sent out. It was very tied together with being sent out from First Lafayette where we were staff and then starting this church. And it all kind of happened within a month almost. And then kind of what's happened since then. And there's stories we've got all through it. So I hope that you hear them and glorify him through it. Because I really feel like I can't take any credit for any of these. Like, they're just crazy. So um, just to give you an idea of, like, backstory real quick. We were staff, music staff at First Baptist Lafayette uh, for about six years. And um, the way I ended up there is not traditional. I didn't go to seminary. I did um, grad school in music, and um, my plan from the beginning was I'm going to have a family and I need a job, so I'm going to go teach at a college because that's the only place you can have a music day job. So (laughs) I went straight through, and I finished at 27 and and started sending out applications, and the only interviews that I had from that were sent to me by God. Nothing I applied for panned out. I got two interviews. One was at LC here. And the other was at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth Seminary, which, again, I didn't go there. And um, it was very obvious that God spoke through that and led me into ministry. So I knew I was there at church for his purpose. 
And that was always my mindset from the beginning. I have no intention to climb a ladder. I'm staying there until God says do something else. So no matter how hard it gets or what kind of stress or junk I have to put up with, I'll put up with it because I want to be obedient to wherever he's put me. Um, And we had lots of off motives during that time. Um, Some of our motives would have been to please people. I still struggle with that. It's probably why speaking in front of people is hard because I want everybody to say, oh, you did a good job. That's Uh, my job. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's God's job. (laughs) That's true. there's a pressure to fill up a calendar. There's a pressure on me as a worship person to create a perfect production. So like rehearsing the band and to be at a level that could compete with the people who are on YouTube. Um, There's also a, an element of just like shield, shielded living. Like we couldn't fully let people into our lives because they would see real people, right? <laughs> and not um, perfect church leaders. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also this feeling that like we had to provide for our family. So like we, this was our job. This yep. is how we made for a long time the majority of our income. So um, all this is kind of tied together. It's feeling like I, I need this in some way. And um, so January 2020 is where this whole little roller coaster starts. So uh, we, Christmas is always huge. We're always exhausted. We come back from New Year's and John Frank always, John Frank's my my boss. And um, friend. And friend. Very close friend still. He's a good yes. good guy. Yeah. Some of y'all might know him. He was at Alpine. Yeah. Um, he would get us back together at the beginning of the year and just kind of refocus us. And so this particular year, he had just gotten back from Romania with Glenn. Glenn had the beginning. I don't think the book was published. It was just we had PDFs of the Abiding Cycle book. Can I jump in here and tell a little bit of that yep. little backstory? So the summer before this, this is summer 2019, I was asked to teach some worship classes to youth and to women at different conferences. So I had to really take a hard look. Like I was not about to go into a classroom and tell people that worship is Sunday mornings singing. You know, like I really had to take a, a hard look at what worship is in my life. And I started developing this process And uh, I started out with prayer, you know, like obviously praying is how you speak to the Lord. You tell him you have communication with him. But how does he speak back to you? Um, And there have been times in my life whenever I have not been consistent um, or even doing it at all. uh, Quiet time studying God's word. And I'll never forget uh, a friend told me, okay, it's, it's great that you pray all the time, but how is God talking back to you? Like, how are you giving him room for that in your life if you're not reading your Bible? So I had reading God's word right after that. Then further down, I had, it started to be this little circle, okay? And further down, I had, um, uh, like, obedience, like that God tells you something to do. And we, we have to do that. And when we do that, we experience him, right? I think you know where I'm going here. And then from there, from there, when we experience God and, and in, a, in a way that we know he did this, nothing I did, he did this, we worship. We, I mean, it is just like a pouring out. It's a building of an altar, right, at that mark in your life. And uh, I, even, I even like had scripture verses and John 15 and what am I going to call this? And then we meet Glenn. <laughs> 
And so in this meeting, and he's talking to us, my, I think I even brought my little paper to show you. Be like, look, God's already teaching us this. Like he's already, God was already leading us, teaching us to abide. And then Glenn came in and, and affirmed that teaching in our lives. So that's, that's kind of... Yeah, there was a lot of glue in that. So like she was saying that her struggle was she would pray about everything and never read a scripture. I was the opposite. Not like, never, but... I said never. Well, same thing. Never. It's not like I never prayed, but I also only prayed about like the big things. Like I knew I had to be in front of people and plan a service for a thousand people. So I want God's wisdom in that. Like, and that's not bad, but that's... I prayed about little things here and there. It wasn't like a consistent... I didn't, I didn't really treat God like a friend in that. Like, I could get off on that anyway. Um, so we went through the abiding cycle, and I, we agreed with it. It was voicing a lot of things that we struggled with in ministry and didn't, mm-hmm. didn't have words for it. Till we got to the end, where it talks about small church. Yeah, from a big church we're like yeah I don't think that's for us but we love this so we were and it didn't it didn't really sink in fully the first time we did it Um, so then the next I'm starting to do a devotion with John Frank every day we do an an A.W. Tozer devotional so in February he writes this one I suppose my suggestion will not receive much serious attention but I should like to suggest that we Bible-believing Christians announce a moratorium on religious activity and set our house in order preparatory to the coming of an afflatus from above. So that's like Holy Spirit outpouring. Uh, I believe we should profit immensely if we were to declare a period of silence and self-examination during which each one of us searched his own heart and sought to meet every condition for a real baptism of power from on high. And we're reading that and being like, man, if church life would only slow down. And then six weeks later, they're canceling school. And, like, we can't be in a room together. And it's like, yes. <laughs> uh, we find, like, it's really unbelievable, like, that that would happen in anybody's lifetime. Yeah, I don't think any of us could have thought. No. And this that. was, I mean, this was weeks, just a couple weeks before. So we, we recognized that as, like, okay, this is a time to go invest so that's basically what we did. Like, there were about six weeks or so where we were just on the back porch, like, developing a prayer habit and a and a Bible study habit, because we didn't have to be going to six million different events. And I mean, like, literally, for years we were never home. Like, we didn't know any of our neighbors. This is before y'all were there. <laughs> they can attest to that. Yeah, like, <laughs> they so are then, our neighbors. then COVID happens, like we're all home, and then we start meeting all our neighbors, and like all of the ministry becomes like organic, like it's here in my literal yard. So we did all kinds of, we got to do all kinds of cool stuff. Like we had kids over when we were outside cooking, we cook extra food, and the kids would come hang out, and we did uh, VBS online. in our backyard. Yeah, in our, basically in our backyard. There's a a lot of creativity we're able to do. We also were experiencing some, like, pushback at work. Like, we really began to see the value of teaching people in their homes. Like, that's the, what the Lord was teaching us in those moments. And we were beginning to get pushback in our jobs, like, but how do we get them back in the door? And I'm not, obviously, we want people together. We want to fellowship. 
But we really wanted to pause on this. How do we teach people at home to live Christ-centered homes, like to build Christ-centered homes? And um, I feel like that's the, a really big shift in our thinking, like pivotal shifting in our thinking in that time. I think it's just like we were prioritizing being with God and getting other people to be with God instead of getting people together and that kind of being like the focus. You want people together, like she said. Like we're in this to do this together. But the priority can get off. So anyway. um, So we developed better reading and prayer habits. So like I'm getting to know God on a totally different Mm -hmm level like I've read things but now I'm reading them and they're like very different perspectives Um, we stayed in contact with Glenn all through this and he gave me a book during that time called Waiting on God which is by Andrew Murray he's like a 1800 South African guy preacher Um, so that that book was very pivotal for what came later to me Um, but it was the same idea of like I don't have to force things to happen like God is a person and he will interact with me that's a that was just really hard for me to get my head around like I, I hear it and understand it but to actually stop and wait and not do something until I was sure he said to do something was something that was difficult for me uh, we reread the abiding cycle again starts to kind of click more um, then we start kind of going back to the office. So like my work habits kind of change. Like I go and every morning I spend time praying before I just go about my day. Just I can attest to that. I'd, I'd bust in his office and he'd literally be on his knees. And I'd be like, oh, this is new, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and there also was one point towards the end of this little section where I had to obey something about God that I knew and I I didn't feel like it was necessarily he had said to do something and I did it. It was something I just knew from reading the Bible that I should do. So like I always had this pressure to create a perfect presentation, like perfect lights, perfect sound, all this stuff. And I felt alone in like bearing the weight of all that. Like I'm, I'm starting to have to like do other people's jobs for them. And like it was very stressful and it was getting to the point where I was going to start impacting personal relationships with people. And I had to make a decision to choose that. Like to, the decision was make this perfect at all costs or to care about the people more. And I decided to give up pursuing the, all the perfect stuff and just let it be what it was gonna be. Um, and it was about a week or two later that this little second phase started. So I, I feel like that was a milestone in this little section of preparing like I knew all these things about God and what his what his teachings were and I wasn't quite doing all the things I at least knew but at this point was like maybe one of the last ones where he can start getting more personal with me about things so then we have this period of time where we're being sent out so we have Easter early April Easter's of another big production it was well done everything went well we were feeling good about it yeah um we go on a family vacation, and this is actually a part of the story a year later. Yeah, so um, we go on a family vacation. We On our way back, we're rear-ended, rear-ended right outside of Baton Rouge, which you know that's just 
hard for a family. We were without a vehicle for like six weeks post COVID rental van, all that stuff. And I'm just throwing that out there because we're going to, we're going to circle back to that. Um, but yeah, we had had a family accident on the way. We come back to work feeling excited, refreshed. What's next? Yeah. John Frank's had a meeting with the pastor about they're kind of, re they want to reset their mindset because the last production is done. What are we doing for the summer? And John Frank comes up to meet with us at lunch, and he's like, if I were you, I would start looking for another job. And I was like, well, did he say something personal? He's like, no, I just think, like, the direction is not where you guys want to go. And I still, even at that point, didn't want to hear, like, you know, is this from God? Like, I don't, he just has this thing, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to put up with whatever, like, I told you that at the beginning. I didn't want to just give up on a job because it was hard. Um, but Lana was like, "This is this is God telling you, like, yeah. it's about time." This is clear. So we started. We I kind of accepted that, and then for about two weeks after, in my Bible reading, I had the theme of waiting, like every, mm -hmm. almost every day. Yeah, and we we called people. We called family. We I called my mom and dad first thing, like, hey get ready. Something's happening. We don't know what, but we don't feel like we're going to be here much longer. Yeah. Um, we told friends, um, yeah. the friends that we, we did have. Yeah. And we didn't want to check out. Like, right. I had no idea whether this would be a week. The motive in telling them was pray weeks. for us. Right. You know, pray, pray. We don't know what's happening. Pray for us. Right. Yeah. So I just wrote I got a list here. They were from Psalms, Lamentations, Habakkuk, First Samuel, Daniel. They're they're not like together. They were together for me at that time. Wait on the Lord. I say again, wait on the Lord. Something, something else. Wait on the Lord. So I'm like, okay, I got it. Then then God gets kind of quiet for a little while, and I'm like, did I, did I miss something? Like, <laughs> you know, learning to like rest in. The fact that he has like times for things and it doesn't have to always be action, action, action when he tells me something. It can just be rest for a little bit. Um, so I was, I was terrified about missing whenever God would say something. I was seeking him every day. I really wanted to know and it wasn't happening and I was like, I just don't want to miss it. Um, then we get to the summer. This is 2021 summer. Um, we have, when we first moved to Lafayette, there was a group of friends that we did a Bible study together where we would pick a book. It was about four groups. Actually, Caitlin Richardson was one of them. We would switch houses and um, go through the book together and do like a small group, basically. We did it for years till we had too many kids and then it got crazy. So we stopped. And one of those groups of friends was like, hey, we should start this back up again. And we were in this season, so... Um, our, our testimony about what was happening in our lives prompted that. We, we shared with them, something's up, God's calling us out, and we're, we don't know what's, what's going to happen. Yeah. And from that, they're like, let's meet so we can weekly be praying for you guys, so we can be studying God's word with you and supporting you through this. Right. Yeah. Um, so we decided to use the binding cycle as the book. Um, so it was, most of the time it was us and two other families, and we did it once a week basically throughout the summer. Um, and in the leading of it, it was basically like, we treated it like we used to at first, where it was kind of a group, everybody read it before, and then we just kind of discussed it. 
And then the more it went on, the more it was like people were kind of looking to me to like teach them through it. So I kind of just eased into it. Um, it's not something that I would choose to do for myself. I, that's the reason I say that. I don't have this ambition to like be this guy. Like <laughs> this is uncomfortable for me. <laughs> um, so Glenn was also like connected with us through this whole time. And he would start talking about, uh, I just thought of this the other day. You were talking about dreams, like dreaming. What are you, what are you dreaming about? And you, you're, at this time, your dream was like, I really won't, like have a dream of having a church plant in Lafayette. I'm like, well, cool. I don't. <laughs> That's not our dream. <laughs> I don't have any idea what church planting is. <laughs> He's like, what are your dreams? And I was like, man, you know what I really wish is we could go back to like, Lockdown COVID. Where <laughs> He's Mr. Social Distance right here. I could sit on the porch and focus on God like I used to because at this point, this has been about a year, the church calendar starts like the machine Out of is control. revving mm. back up and it's it's even more. We have a we have a new pastor at this time. Like he comes the first week of COVID, Easter. Yeah. Um he's got a, a mindset of wanting to do a lot of stuff. And he's been Stopped by COVID and it was building up for like a year. And he was just like <laughs> out the gate. And so I was, I was feeling exhausted. <laughs> they know it's true. See, they can testify. <laughs> so a couple of these guys served with us at First Lafayette for a year. So they're, they're in on the joke, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that was my dream. Like I want to be able to focus on God, like we were doing, like. This, the way it felt to do ministry at, in our neighborhood during that time was so easy and fulfilling at the same time. And I still didn't know, like, what is that? I didn't, I didn't put it together that that is what, like, leading a church is. Like, if I'm pastoring a church, my job for them is to study God's word and, and wait until I hear a message from him and then teach people about it. Like, this basically is what my dream was, and I didn't really know that. Oh, wow. Um, I just thought about that yesterday. So God gave me what I wanted, even though I didn't know what I wanted. Um, sometimes I still wonder when I get nervous. <laughs> um, so we started, back to the, the group we were doing, we started wondering if this is what was going to be a church plant. Because Glenn's kind of feed, feeding this idea of like, what if this is a church plant? And it's kind of how he's seen them grow. There was like a group happening we're all together, and it just kind of naturally morphs at some point. Right. Um, so then August happens, and August is like thing after thing after thing. Yep, it's, so it's about to get real. I'll try to keep them all straight. This is where it gets really, like God's clarity of his speaking is very, very obvious, like the whole time. So August 10th, I have a meeting with John Frank and James, our pastor. Our pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of it is just for us to talk worship philosophy. And when I go in there, by the time I leave, I don't have a future of a job anymore. Um, and that sounds, I don't want to go into that kind of thing, but what was so funny to me in it was there was literally a time where the pastor said this. I wrote it down at the time so I would remember it. <laughs> I don't want you to leave this meeting today without being absolutely clear. Your future is not at First Baptist Lafayette. And like I had been praying all summer, like, 
I don't want to miss God saying something. And it was literally like, <laughs> I don't want you to leave this room and miss this. Like he literally says this. <laughs> so like even when he's saying it in the meeting, like I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> like I left happier than he probably was. I don't know. Um, it also didn't, I didn't have like a time that I had to leave. It was just it was like open-ended. We need to start a process. I don't know what that is. Take your time. There wasn't like a rush for us to leave. And so it still kind of felt like wait, the same waiting we were doing. Yeah. I just had a clear confirmation that there was going to be Yeah, but in. let me jump in here and say like it wasn't just this like peaceful time of like, oh, yes, he's calling us out. I was over here unraveling, <laughs> like falling to pieces because... It's hard to hear someone say that about this guy. <laughs> like, uh, my grandma once told me that not liking Josh is like kicking a puppy. And she's right. She's right. He is just a picture of kindness. And hearing somebody tell that, like, the, the mother bear wife mode came out in me. And I'm on staff, too. And I wasn't given a conversation, ever with the pastor or with anybody on staff. Um, and those are really things that were very difficult for me to, to process. Like, don't I deserve a conversation? Don't I deserve? Uh, I've served in this ministry too. So I was, I'm telling you, I was down in the dirt, Miss Debbie. I was down in the dirt. And um, I'll, I know we're going to get there, but like, um, the, the progression at which everything happened, I'll, we were told this, I was with friends when we find out, I'm, I'm a mess, I'm a wreck for days. You know, we're, we're supposed to come back and lead worship Sunday morning, and I don't, I don't have a poker face. Like, I cannot not let you know how I feel. <laughs> it is just how I am, and my heart was breaking. I mean, not only were we... Um, in ministry, we loved, we loved John Frank, we loved the, sta the, the staff that we were working with, um, but we lived life with these people for 10 years. We, we were members at First Lafayette before we were on staff. We had our babies together. We walked life together, and we're being told to leave. And it is, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking in that moment, even when you can see God's hand in it. Like, we, I, I never once denied what God was doing. I could clearly see that, but I still had heartbreak. Um, tremendous heartbreak and grief over that. But when Josh came to me and told me he thought we needed to leave now, I'm going to pick up right there. Um, he, I think, was really nervous to tell me, I think we need to tell James two weeks and we're gone. And that morning I had read in my um, devotion. Uh, the story of Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. And God gave them like really clear instructions like to walk across, take the stones to set up the altar after. And, and everything that Joshua was told, he told the Israelites and they did. And God brought them into the promised land. And so when he told me that, in the midst of my heartbreak and my anger and my uh, injustice feelings, 
I had total peace because God was speaking to me too, telling me I've given Joshua, my Joshua, clear instructions on what to do and I'm bringing you into a new place, a spacious place, a promised land. All right, so that was, that day was a week after this meeting I had. So like, I woke up like any other day and where you need one scripture, I needed like six. <laughs> and I got them all. So I, I, I had a Tozer one where the headline was, I gave it all up. And it's all about like him leaving a rubber factory to go preach. Um, I had uh, my utmost first highest was about Luke 18, which is where Jesus is talking to the rich man. And he says, one thing you lack, sell all you have and come follow me. Um, I had Isaiah 42, which is all about God doing, God being who he is and doing things that are impossible. And there's a specific verse in there that's like, I, the Lord, have called you. I have chosen you. Something like that. Um, I had Revelation 3. I had a, a Spurgeon one that was like, these were all like directions. There was a Spurgeon one that was like, God is how close God is to us in, this, in a time like this. And that was what cued me. Like I woke up with no intention to do anything. And I was like, hey, Glenn, I kind of think God's telling me this, but it's still like, am I really going to like trust my job to, I read some devotionals that all said a similar like line of thought. And that was hard to risk my main income and I've got four kids and a wife in the house and I sing all this stuff as a worship leader, do I really believe it? Um, so then we had that talk later and she was more comfortable with us leaving than I was. I was terrified. Just in that moment. Just in that moment. Yeah. For one day, <laughs> we switched places. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, I need to sleep on it. So I, sl I did. The next day was like the same. And so I set up a meeting with the pastor and told him, I think God's telling me to leave now. And he's like, what do you think? I was like, well, I guess two weeks notice. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I've never, never left a job like this. I don't know. Um, so there was that, that decision in the second day felt very easy. The first day it was like. It felt insane almost. Um, so then later that week, one of the families that's in this group has a boat. I haven't been on a boat with them since. <laughs> they want to go out onto the, the lake to, to go tube or whatever. Yeah. So we go to the, the dock and I'm getting into the boat. It's not, it's, we're just holding the boat to the dock so it's not like super steady or anything. Everybody's getting into the boat, and Henry, who's like what five at the time, mm -hmm. is like starts having a total meltdown. He's like never been in a boat, and he's freaking out about you know the boat's kind of like wobbling in the water a little bit because it's not docked; it's in water. And I'm like, Henry, come to me. Like we're gonna go too, but it's gonna be awesome. He's like, I've never been in a boat before, and he's like melting down. I can't see what's under the water. I can't see what's under the water. Yeah. And in that moment, like I knew I was God in the story and Henry was me. Like I was freaking out about 
not being comfortable. I didn't know what was going to be on the other side of me stepping off of a dock into a boat with my father. And my father's like, dude, it's gonna I'm, be telling awesome. Hen- I'm telling Henry, like, I'm not going to drop you. You can sit in my lap the whole time. I'm going to be here. You're not going to fall out. The boat's not going to tip over. It's going to be fun. Just stop freaking out and come sit with me. And like that, that picture of recognizing like that God was a father to me like that was just, I was going to be okay regardless of whatever happened after this. And Henry had a lot of fun. And Henry had fun. <laughs> he too. Yep. Reluctantly. <laughs> um, so this was, that was God speaking through a situation. Um, there were also several songs that God sent us, weirdly. Like, we're in music all the time, and we're around a lot of music. And most of the songs he sent, I'd never heard. Um, people, Lindsay sent us a couple. Yeah. People would just send them to us, and it was so strange, like how, how meaningful the lyrics were. Um, I wrote them down, if anybody wants to listen to them. Dancing on the Waves by We the Kingdom was one. Catch Me by Alyssa Smith was one. That's a powerful, powerful mm-hmm. song. Uh, New Wine by Hillsong Worship, over and over. Egypt that we sang was another one. When we first sang it, I was like, this is Battle Belongs. I don't care. And at some point, like God started using that idea of Egypt and bringing me out of First Lafayette. Was this, it was the same kind of thing, and it became a very meaningful song mm-hmm. to me through that. Um, so then, just to get back to the, to the church story, um, the last weeks of August, we start telling the people in this group, I think we're leaving in a couple of weeks. We, you know, we're already meeting. Why don't we just keep meeting? And they're like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> hard no. In fact, um, it's something, another way that the Lord had spoken to me, we had prayed, we're going to officially ask them, like, we feel like God's asked us to stay in Lafayette just based on timing and circumstances. Um, and we're going we're gonna to take a baby step forward with the idea of church plant possibly. And he gave me this scripture. I wish I could remember the exact reference, but it's the, the parable Jesus tells about the wedding feast. And I, I had prayed about my friends and asking them this, and then here's a scripture that's saying, you know, build, the guy makes the feast. He makes this big banquet, and he goes out and tells all of his friends, and none of them have time for them. And they went and got people off the street. They went and got broken people and brought them into the wedding feast and in that moment I knew our friends were not going to come with us and I believe that the Lord was also teaching me that it's not for me to build it's not up to me Uh, there's no pitch I can make or it's not up to me to convince someone to come along like that's his job yeah so that happened and we're like, well, now what do we do? Yeah, we didn't feel like anything was gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and then people started coming to us. So like, we were close with the bus. I played drums with Kyle for the whole time I was at First Lafayette. Um, they tell us, hey, if y'all want to meet together, let's meet. I'm like, okay, well, y'all can come over to our house. And then Ben, at, during the summer, I think it was during the summer, moves next door. He said the same thing. I met a guy on the street. 
that I hadn't seen since, uh, since Easter. He did some sound work for us and was like, hey, what are y'all doing? Because I told him we were leaving. Like, I didn't invite any of these people. They can all tell you, none of these yeah. people. Like, I was like, hey, you should really come to our church at our house. Like, they all came to us saying, what are y'all doing? And we just said we'd host people and, and teach it. And it is what it is now. Like, there's like 30 people, a bunch of adults and more kids than adults, <laughs> as you apparently do. <laughs> so what's cool about that, though, is that I don't have to, I don't have to try to fight this battle of giving glory to myself about I built this thing that I'm so used to having to do in ministry. Like, God built this thing. Mm -hmm. And all I have to do is say, hey, God built this. God's real. Why don't you go talk to him? Like, this whole thing has been so cool like that. Like, recognizing that my obedience is very small. Like, if I can just know what he wants me to do and I can say, I'll do whatever. And then he does all this stuff that, like, I can't, there's no way I could take credit for it. Yeah, but I feel like you learn that lesson so much quicker than I do. <laughs> because um, he is, he's, he tends to be very stoic, calm, a really gentle type of personality. And I'm just not that way. And I'll never forget um, uh, our last weekend that was supposed to be like our final weekend at First Lafayette was the same weekend as Hurricane Ida. So here we are getting ready. We have our last band practice with our band which was like a phenomenal band practice like we had never had before. We went through all of our songs and they were like, what else do y'all want to do? You make me brave. Let's do it. I mean, we did so many other songs. It was such a sweet time of worship. We never did that. Yeah, we've never done that in our six and a half years there. We never had enough time to rehearse in an hour and a half. Right. We wouldn't get through all the stuff. We had such a precious time of worship. And then Hurricane Ida comes and they cancel church. And we never stepped foot in there again. And I remember we came home that weekend to spend, I, I just, when I feel down like that, I want to be home. I want to I go see my parents. I want to be around family. And um, man, I was just feeling so broken. And, uh, and of course, you know, my mom and dad are so supportive. And they, you know, I, can, I know that they feel the injustice that was done to us too. But they have the the parental concern too. But no, we do have to think about what's next for you. And I know that that is so genuine. And and it was it was a bomb to me, you know. But at the same time, like I I could not reconcile what God was asking us to do with like the way of life that I knew it. I just it couldn't make sense of it. And now I'm really mad that we didn't get our last Sunday. I didn't get to say goodbye to anybody. I didn't get to like why why is it this way. And I remember voicing those concerns. What actually was starting to happen is Satan was kind of whispering lies to me of you're alone. Like, you can't fully talk to your family. You can't talk to your friends because they told you no, they're not coming with you. And you can't even talk to him because he's more faithful than you. That's, that's what the enemy was whispering to me. And I remember on the way home, I'm trying to express this, but I don't want to. Like, I'm afraid. I, I just don't want to say the words. And Josh makes the comment to me, you know what, Lana, if God, if God asked us to be homeless, we'd do that. And I had a panic attack. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, head between my knees. I can't breathe. 
I am dying right now. I'm dying. And I literally felt my body. I, I, one of my reactions, I guess, is, is to freeze. Like, I literally felt like I turned to stone. Like, I had nothing. I, didn't, I, I needed to turn myself into stone because I didn't want to hear from God. I didn't want to hear from him. I didn't want to hear from anybody. And we go home. We get home. Hurricane Ida was not as bad, right? As I, yeah, it didn't end up being that bad. I think it was sunny. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. And I go to bed at like three o'clock. Like I'm, I'm at a really, a severe low. And I don't want to hear anything. And um, Josh comes in and is trying to gently tug me out of it. And I finally tell him what I'm feeling. I finally say to him, I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't have, I feel like I can't talk to you. I feel like I can't fully express myself to family, to my friends. I feel alone. We have no one anymore. And literally, at that moment, Josh's phone rings. <laughs> and it is um, a, a music ministry friend. And he tells Josh, um, hey, I've heard what's happened to you guys. We're down the road at First Crowley. Um, we want to have y'all come lead worship. We want to have you over for dinner. And we just want to love on y'all. Um, the Lord knew how much I needed that lifeline. He knew how much the pendulum could have swung. You know, we could have, we're never doing ministry again. We could have. We could, and you know what? The world, I think, would have said, I understand that, that choice. But the Lord knew differently for us. And he brought us into a very sweet and tender church community just down the road from us that um, just took, our, took care of us while we were hurting. They allowed us space to grieve what happened and continue to give our children like a quote-unquote normal church environment, you know? Like it was hard coming from like the church life we were living, which was full immersion. Our kids thought they lived there. There were times when we did to just being cut off from it. You know, they, as much as I didn't get to say goodbye to my friends, neither did they. You know, so it was just this extremely sweet and tender time that we had friends. God surrounded us in people that abide, that, that, that love him, and that are, not, that are not trying to be something that God didn't create him to be. Uh, I feel like I should add, obviously, my word choice in the story was not the greatest. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like When I was doing ministry, I had that mindset. Like, I don't care how hard it gets. I'm going to do it regardless. And it was the same. I was approaching it with the same mindset. If God asked me to be homeless, well, I'll be obedient, I guess. Cue the panic attack. I didn't, I didn't know, though, <laughs> like how God would never do that. Like... I'm just learning how God is a father that doesn't do that if you're seeking him first. Um, and that was, that could have been learned at the hard way, I guess. <laughs> um, so, anyway, we're getting to the end of this little section. We start meeting with the LaBeoufs the first week. It was just them and us. Um, the next week, the Kings were in town, so they came. Morgan started coming. Every week, um, new faces. New people, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so we've, since then too, we've had a lot of high points of growing together. So like, we leave a job with no money. 
So what am I going to do? Like I teach part-time for Liberty University. I teach music class, a couple of music classes. And um, it's not what I was making. I, I really didn't sit down and do the math to see if it would be enough because I figured it wasn't. <laughs> they gave us, uh, we had a, a severance and a love offering when we left, and we knew that was going to run out of December. And our guy got to do something. Like, yeah, I don't know what to do. Um, and we've had more money in the bank from the time we left than we've had in my entire life. Like, from just random stuff. And I don't know if it's like some of our expenses have changed. I know that too, but like. Yeah. Well, and and the Lord provided for me. There was a moment in, in September where I was feeling panicky. Surprise. Um, I was feeling panicky about what do we got to do? We have four children. Like, we need stability. Like, so I applied to be a substitute teacher with the Lafayette Parish School System because I know I can do that. And um, I applied to the wrong thing. <laughs> And in that moment, I was like, Lord, I didn't, I didn't approach you about this. Like, and we're living our lives in a way where we ask him about everything now. And I, I didn't do that. And I'm sorry, I didn't do that. Like a week later, I get a text message from a girl I worked with 10 years ago asking me to be her long-term sub at my children's school in the music classroom. So the Lord gave me a job at my kid's school in my field, he, he created something. I, I was thinking I was just going to be at random schools, you know, doing, filling up my days, you know, try, helping, you know, pull my end because, you know, I feel like I have to do that. I got to pull my weight, you know. And uh, he said, no, I've got something better. And uh, just understanding that he works through those circumstances and being able to see and learning to wait. Like, don't rush it. Like, no decision needs to be made instantly, that we are allowed time to sit at his feet and to give it to him and to wait for his response. And he will And he will respond. Something. Yeah. Um, okay, so you got that. And then back to the car wreck. Yep. We, go th- we do like chiropractic stuff all year long. Um, we're in 2022 now, December. Um, They're starting to like close the claim and everything, and so they tell us, "You're gonna, we're gonna give you this much money. The medical expenses are this much." And so we're thinking, like, um, you might better tell us part of the story a little bit. Yeah. So we, um, they tell us, we'll throw some numbers at you. Nobody has to do math though. So hey, your expenses for your entire family were about eight thousand dollars. We're gonna give you fifteen, and we're like, what? Like, we didn't pursue anything like that. We just thought, we want y'all to cover those medical bills. Our whole family was in this accident. It was a pretty bad accident. That's all we want. But, um, yeah, I, like, restated what she said to me, and I'm like, okay, all right. In the meantime, our, our oldest uh, needs contacts. And I shared this story with a few of y'all at um, the TGP Writers Conference. And um, she needs contacts, and... They're not just regular contacts. They're to help uh, slow down her progression. And they're very expensive, y'all. And she heard us talking about it like, I can't believe how expensive these contacts are. She's over there looking at me. And she, being the firstborn, is like, you don't have to get those for me. I'll be okay. (laughs) And we're like, no, we're going to talk to the Lord about this. And he's going to, we're just going to bring this to him. And in that moment, Alma has watched us, how we process stuff. And 
She writes in her little journal, the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life, telling God that I know you can do anything that's impossible. I've seen you do it. She's seen him do it in our family. And then we go to bed that night and we read her story, or you know, our, our Jesus Storybook Bible. And we're reading the story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And, and at the end of the story, uh, the author adds um, that we serve a God that makes everything out of nothing. And she looked up at me and she said, I'm getting my contacts. (laughs) And I was like, I believe you. I believe you're getting your contacts. And then a week later,